Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 21st. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, flood-affected residents of Jackson return to their homes as the Pearl River threatens communities downstream. And in light of Parchman Unit 29 being shut down, we look at how one organization wants to reform community supervision. Then, a personal account of life as a Mississippi corrections officer. Plus, Congressman Benny Thompson shares his thoughts on the upcoming census. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Most of all of this, it was like you can feel the walk by the water come in. You can actually now get on the carpet and you can hear it like mushing, mushing, mushing. Mickey and Anitra Holder were among the hundreds of residents of Northeast Jackson to return to their homes this week after evacuating due to the Pearl River flood. Like many others, the Holders are trying to figure out what to do next. They share their experience with MPB's Kobe Vance. It's been uh, terrorizing, I say, because you know it's it's you know it's shocking not to know what's coming, and all of a sudden here come the water, you know, and you and you you can't stop it. So, you know, you have to take it on and you have to uh, you have to endure things and, and kids going crazy. You know, your wife is hysterical and she's going she's upset and you, you have to grab what you can and get out because the water was really coming. And, you know, and, 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 and to go and turn around and come back to get something else and come back and know the water got up that quick, fast. And, you know, it was it was really crazy. To me, it was just heartbreaking. Uh, I seen my kids with tears, crying. Uh, and to me, I never seen anything like this happen. But uh, I just thank God that we did, was able to get out. And um, so now that coming back, uh, is today the first day y'all were able to return home? Well, we came yesterday, but we, we came home and we was able to get in yesterday because of the uh, water had went down. And we went inside, and it's, the smell is really bad, and we got everything inside. It's wet. 
Uh, the home got flooded, so you know it's it's. Uh, but you know it's a blessing to be here to see this. You know I I think everything happens for a reason. God does everything for a reason. So it's gonna be a. I think it's gonna be a a turnaround, a change. You know, in the neighborhood for for people to start looking out for one another. What was your reaction to first walking into the home? Well, when I first got uh, walked into my home, uh, I was in tears, uh, and I prayed before I even walked in because I asked God to lead me. And as I continued to walk in, I didn't even have on boots. I had on tennis shoes, and the water was, like, soaked. Uh, at my utility room, it was still water up high in there. So I was just really, really uh, frightened that, you know, but we all know that God replaces things, so I'm just happy that uh, we were able to get our family out and we're safe. Even though it's a long process, we just thank God for living. While the waters recede in Jackson, the threat of flooding moves downstream. The communities of Georgetown, Monticello, and Columbia are bracing for flood stage water as the Pearl River is forecast to crest in those areas over the weekend. Danielle Barber is with the Columbia Police Department. Everybody, you know, is being prepared. We've all encouraged everyone to be proactive and go ahead and start moving items if they live along the the potential flood areas. Um, we do have around 358 plus residents that could be affected by the flooding. Authorities are monitoring county roads and bridges as the river nears its crest. Coming up, in light of Parchman Unit 29 being shut down, we look at how one organization wants to reform community supervision. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Inmates of Unit 29 at Parchman State Penitentiary are being relocated to a private facility in Tallahatchie County, marking the inevitable end of the unit's troubled history. In January, prison reform activists took to the streets of Jackson to demand the state take action to address the conditions at Parchman. Reform Alliance, founded by Meek Kill, was among those groups. Erin Haney is Reform's policy director. She says closing the unit is a step in the right direction. But, as she tells our Michael Guidry, reform must extend beyond the facilities to community supervision programs designed to support reentry rather than recidivism. So probation and parole, at their best, they are designed to support people who are coming out, right? So to help connect people who have been removed from their communities for periods of time, um, to help connect them with services, to make sure that they are on, you know, quote, unquote, the right track in terms of employment, in terms of housing, um, in terms of giving back to their community, uh, familial relationships, all of those things, parole and probation at their best, are designed to support. Um, what we see instead, and this is due a, a lot of the time to, 
certainly to no fault of the probation officers or parole officers, um, but really due to a systemic issue that we have with community supervision, where oftentimes instead of supporting people, we have a system that really just sort of monitors people and looks for reasons to send them back to prison. Um, And that's how we end up, you know, in a situation where we are contributing to mass incarceration, um, contributing to recidivism, so contributing um, to crime in communities, right, Um, rather than deterring crime, helping support folks, and making sure that they're um, on the right path. What changes would you like to see to Mississippi statute uh, in relation to parole and probation that would make that system of community supervision more likely to produce contributing members of communities rather than recidivism like we're seeing? The first thing I want to stress is that Reform Alliance does not do a one-state-fits-all approach. Um, Our goal is to really go into the states that we work in and figure out what folks there want and how we can help support and uplift those solutions. Um, So looking specifically at at Mississippi, I think that there are a fair number of things that can be done, some of which may be done immediately and some of which are more long-term you know, Mississippi's habitual offender law, for example, um, that has a significant impact on the prison population, right? Um, Mississippi also has a, a significant fines and fees. Um, and so the ways in which people get penalized while they're under community supervision, it's not just with meeting uh, logistical constraints and conditions like appearing at appointments, it's also the, the punitive response to an inability to pay fines and fees. Um, so I think when we look at community supervision and we look at Mississippi, it's important to recognize that all of these things are linked. Um, all of those things directly contribute to mass incarceration, and all of those are things that we are looking at um, and trying to decide how to solve with advocates on the ground in Mississippi. What's your reaction? Um, what's Reform Alliance's reaction to the steps that have been made within, uh, within the last month as this uh, this new government, this this new leadership in Mississippi from the governor, lieutenant governor, even the new legislature? What's your reaction on the steps they've taken so far? So, first of all, you know, Mississippi in general and Parchman specifically are in the crisis that they're in due to decades and decades of Um, poor conditions of confinement, and that's really an understatement, but really horrific conditions of confinement in prisons in Mississippi. Um, I think that there are some short-term fixes that need to happen immediately, like getting people out of immediate harm's way, and then there are also these long-term fixes that really affect more than just parchment, frankly, um, but are essential to getting Mississippi's uh, prison system Uh, back to just even a tolerable level. And so far, at least through Reform Alliance, we have seen a a good deal of participation and and what we interpret at least as good faith participation by the government officials in Mississippi who seem to be saying they want this to change, they want to take the correct steps to make lasting change. Um, And I think shutting down parchment is a good first step. Aaron Haney is the Policy Director with Reform Alliance. Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, a personal account of life as a Mississippi Corrections Officer. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
If you ever miss one of our locally produced shows or want to simply hear it again, you can find what you need at mpbonline.org or download our podcast app to your smartphone. MPB programming is on your schedule at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Inmates aren't the only ones in danger in Mississippi prisons. That's the topic of a new story by Joe Neff and Alicia Santo of the Marshall Project. The report indicates that due to the rampant understaffing of Mississippi prisons, guards are often targets of physical and emotional assault. Joe Neff tells us the environment within Mississippi's prisons has a profound effect on those tasked with supervising it. It's well established, but maybe not very well known, that uh, correctional officers suffer very high levels of PTSD, depression, alcoholism, uh, a, a lower, um, they die younger. Uh, so I talked to one uh, officer from the Wilkinson prison who was a former Marine, um, was twice attacked, uh, stabbed. In, uh, in the prison, and he started, he developed a very bad case of PTSD. His wife said he withdrew from the family. He wasn't interacting with their little kids. And one night, she came to bed and laid down, and he just smashed her in the face and gave her a black eye. He was asleep. And so ever since then, she's had to sleep with a broom in their bedroom so that if he starts talking or moving around too much, she jumps up and prods him awake with the broom because she can't... She can't get that close to him. Yeah. Have those that you've spoken with sought treatment? Do they always seek treatment or not? Uh, A number of them have sought treatment. Um, This guy whose wife poked him with the broomstick, he left... Uh, Wilkinson and is working at a prison in another state, and he, his wife says he's just become so much better, reengaged with the family, not uh, ter- terrorized by whatever was going on in his dreams. Um, but not all of them get help, and even some of them. I talked to one woman. I knocked on her door in Ruleville. and she just started sobbing when I told her what I was there for, and she says. That place has messed up my mental mind so much, I just can't even talk. Uh, and when I read the account of what happened to her, it's really a terrible, vicious attack. I got knocked down by this guy who put a broom across, broomstick across her neck and was leaning on it with all his weight until some others got him off of her. It's just pretty horrifying. Joe Neff is a reporter with the Marshall Project. Jennifer White is a former corrections officer and the lead subject of Neff and Santos' report. She spent her entire corrections career at Parchman. She shares her experience with our Michael Guidry. I came in 2003, and at that time I was young, 36 years old, and, 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 you know, everything was fine because we had a lot of officers. You know, we had a whole lot of officers at that time, and we wasn't outnumbered at that time. I say two years later, they had a huge layoff. They laid off about 240 officers. 
after that, everything declined, and that's when it was time to watch your back. That's when all the assaults started, and and you can see people getting hurt every day and all of that stuff. And that's when we, you know, I, I, I said about two years after I took that job, that's when it became very dangerous, especially for a female to work a job. What dangers did you personally experience while working at Parchman? I got assaulted twice. Well, I got assaulted a lot of times, you know, minor assault. But I got assaulted majorly in 2008. I had an inmate. He was thrown as another officer a food tray, and he hit me in the back of the neck with that food tray. He broke one side of a dish in my neck on three and four, and they had to replace that whole dish, and they put a metal plate in the back of my neck. I have it today. And uh, and then I got assaulted in majorly in 2016. You returned to Parchment after that first assault? Yes, I did. I returned to my job because... I invested in that job. People don't understand why I returned. First of all, I didn't want the inmate to think that he won. And another thing, I I had uh, degrees for that job, and that's the job I wanted to work, and I returned back. Yes. I, I came back uh, six months later. This last assault I had was, you know, I, I, I finish those things on you all the time. I have been dashed with urine before and hot water and coffee and all of that. That's assault, too. But those are minor assaults that you can just wipe off and keep it going. But when they injure you like I was injured, it take over your life. And, and, and it actually, that assault shattered my life because I ended up with PTSD, depression, suicidal thoughts, homicidal thoughts, all kinds of thoughts. I mean, I want to kill that inmate because he took my life from me. And he did because I still have nightmares and dreams from this. I don't have this don't ever come out of my mind. It, it don't ever because I see him attacking that woman all the time. I see him attacking me. It don't, it don't leave you. I don't care how long it is. It don't leave you. Do you attribute your experience in general from the first assault to the, the dashing that you said you experienced? Do you, do you attribute that to a sense of neglect from the state when it came to supporting the Department of Corrections? I'm not going to say it was neglect from the state. Uh, I'm going to say it like this here. We, it, it, it's understaffed. I mean, you can't make people to come. But, but see, when they got rid of all those people, some of those people were good officers and veteran officers, and they just gave them peace and said, go, you know, because you've been there too long. It's time for you to leave. And that, that right there destroyed a lot of MDOC right there, and they didn't understand that. But we saw it coming, but they didn't. And I'm going to tell you that. We saw that come, but they didn't. And after that, end, they stopped respecting you because they know we are number. They used to tell us every day, we just let you live. We let you make us any day we want to take off, we can. And, and they were telling the truth. Uh, yes. what, were you, what were you being compensated during those, during those years at Parchman while working in those conditions, working to protect the public? Before I left there, I was a correctional supervisor, and, and my I can't t- tell you exactly how. It's supposed to have been $25,000 a year for a correctional supervisor. That's what I was making. But as a correctional officer, I was, wasn't making much at all because, and, and actually, in, in reality, let me, you, let me explain to you how it happened. Okay, when I became a CO4, the pay that I was getting was like, uh, I'm going to say I was making like 23000 a year, right? When I made lieutenant, you would think I'd get paid way more than that? No. It went up like maybe $100 extra. I had worked like that myself for hours and hours because I was dedicated to that job. 
Only thing I want the job to do is be dedicated to me, and that never happened. Jennifer White, former corrections officer at Parchman, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. You're welcome. You can read more about Jennifer White's experience and more in Mississippi prisons. No one's safe, not even the guards. Out now at themarshallproject.org. Coming up, Congressman Benny Thompson shares his thoughts on the upcoming census. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On the next Fit to Eat, I'll be preparing a stuffed shoulder tenderloin with cream spinach sauce and brabant potatoes. Our guest is Emily Thavis from the National Diabetes and Obesity Research Institute. We're going to check out a local butcher in Flora, and registered dietitian Rebecca Turner will share some delicious low-sodium crock-pot tricks. It's going to be a great show, so stay tuned. Join Chef Rob Stinson on Fit to Eat every Saturday at 1, only on MPB TV. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. In April, the Census Bureau will begin its required count of United States residents. The census is a constitutionally mandated account that takes place every 10 years. Congressman Benny Thompson of Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District urges Mississippians to treat the census with due diligence. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance the count affects Mississippians at every level of government. Ten years ago, we had five members of Congress. Uh, we lost population, and now we have four. Uh, so we lost uh, about 20% of our influence in Washington uh, because we didn't keep enough population uh, uh, in our state. We won't lose anybody nationally uh, in the House of Representatives, but if we don't have an accurate count, uh, we determine at the federal level resources to states based on population. Uh, so if we undercount, then whatever that count is, that's the amount of money that you get. So if we, for example, miss 5% of the people in our state in the census, then you get 5% less money even though you still have the people. So it's to our advantage to have an as accurate account uh, as possible. Now, from the state of Mississippi standpoint, uh, they'll use that data to redistrict the Mississippi legislature, both the House and the Senate. Uh, boards of supervisors will use that data to redistrict uh, the counties. Uh, cities will use that data to redistrict their cities. School boards will use it. There are a lot of applications uh, to that data that can be very beneficial to communities. But let me say that you have to make an effort uh, to be counted. There's been a bill proposed to bring uh, rural broadband into the Mississippi. Um, Could you talk a little bit about that and what that could mean for rural Mississippians? Well, there have been a number of efforts uh, over the last few years to bring uh, broadband uh, to all Americans, not just people who happen to live in the big city. Uh, So uh, a a lot of us are on various pieces of legislation uh, to do just that. Uh, Just because you live in a rural area is no reason for you not to have access uh, uh, to, to 
not just broadband, but uh, the best that's available. Uh, and it should be affordable. Uh, uh, as you know, right now, affordability is a big thing. So we're looking at, uh, on the Democratic side, uh, a transportation infrastructure bill that's not just inclusive of highways and bridges, but it's also inclusive of broadband. Uh, so we've now uh, molded broadband into the discussion uh, of infrastructure uh, because people now uh, in all walks of life uh, depends on uh, connectivity. But the one that troubles me the most is that so many of our children uh, who go to school in rural areas don't have access to that kind of connectivity, and they're missing out on so many things so that uh, those of us from a public policy standpoint, uh, we have to promote it uh, because society is getting more and more technological, and as that moves forward, uh, the next generation is going to have to keep up or they will fall behind. Democrat Benny Thompson represents Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.